your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 6, please. Acts chapter 6. I told you earlier uh, this, well, that we would be voting again and selecting new deacons um, the end of this month, maybe into the 1st of October, in the next couple of weeks is what I'm getting at, and feel like we need to teach on this subject, again, of the qualifications for a deacon as we begin to consider, again, uh, who the Lord would have to serve in this biblical office. There are only two offices in a New Testament church. It's the pastor and the deacon. Both have qualifications, and they are both very, very similar, almost identical uh, in their qualification, not just any one. Uh, is qualified biblically to serve in the office of a deacon. And so as we draw close to the time uh, that we will be choosing again, I want to teach on this subject. And so for the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at what the Bible says in Acts chapter 6 and also 1 Timothy chapter 3 regarding the qualifications of deacons. And the office of a deacon originated with the stipulation that only men of the highest Christian character would be permitted to serve in it. And the qualifications for service in this office are clearly set forth for us in Acts chapter 6 and 1 Timothy chapter 3. These were never intended to be subjected to reconfiguration or revisions uh, or men's ideas. The Word of God sets it forth for us clearly and it's incumbent upon us to follow what the Word says. Uh, they are a standard for us. They are set in the Word of God to be a perpetual standard for churches to follow uh, in selecting men to serve in this biblical office. And we cannot ignore what the Bible plainly teaches as qualifications for this office. They're not open to scrutiny, friend. They're not open to whether we agree or disagree. They're Scripture. Amen? And we need to obey the Word of God. But I will tell you this. Sadly, it is happening in churches today. They adopt these different ideas, some out of political correctness. Uh, and it's, it's perverting American society as a whole. It, it leads to willingness to compromise to dumb down qualifications or requirements or standards that the Word of God sets forth, and they do it out of convenience or for expediency. And it's happening even in good churches, where the Word of God that sets forth something very clearly has being a, a, a change is being adopted, and it's a matter of convenience or expedience, and it's overlooked. Like, we make this little change here, and I'm doing this because of this, and we overlook what the Word of God clearly teaches as the pattern and the, and the, for us. Uh, we start to go into areas of compromise. And listen, what's happening is if somebody doesn't measure up, then we change the standard until they do. That's happening in our culture. It's destroying American institutions. And you know how it is. You, 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 it's hard to find good customer service these days, right? Yeah. There used to be a standard, but you can't find anybody to meet the standard, so we change it until they finally do. And what does it lead to? The dumbing down, the political correctness, all of those things 
It wreaks havoc, not in just society, but it, it creeps into churches. And men who are not qualified for ministry positions begin to uh, hold them and inferior standards that are set by carnal men are the cause. And so I want us to look at the Word of God because there is no substitute for the Word of God. Amen? The Word of God gives us the criteria. And we're going to make some applications along the way because it's not just for those who would fill the office of a deacon. There, there's some things here that ought to be the, the desire of every child of God. But there is a process, and the Word of God gives it to us, and we need to be sure that we hold to the Word of God. Let's go to Acts chapter 6, and I want you to look with me in verse 1. We'll read a few verses here, uh, but we're going to primarily focus in on verses 2 and 3. The Bible says, In those days when the number of the disciples were, was multiplied, there arose a murmuring among the Grecians, against the Hebrews, because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. Then the twelve, that's the apostles, but they are pastors of this church. Then the twelve called the multitude, there's the congregation, of the disciples unto them, and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we, we may appoint over this business, but we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and of Philip and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, whom they set before the apostles, and when they had prayed, they laid their hands on them, and the word of God increased, and the number of the disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly, and a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. Here we find a couple of different principles that we need to consider uh, as we move forward in the process and we move forward toward choosing new deacons. Let's pray and then we'll begin, okay? Lord, we ask for your help this afternoon. Lord, I pray that you'd uh, lead with your spirit or to give the right words to, to speak, only the ones that you'd have me to speak. And Father, I pray that we would receive the word to, today. And Lord, we'd be instructed by it. And Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. The Bible makes no distinctions in the life of a church when it comes to these principles, uh, there's a process of thought out there that tries to separate spiritual truth from secular truth or secular life in a church. But the Word of God doesn't make that distinction. The preaching, the praying, that's spiritual work. But the upkeep uh, uh, and the business is the secular work, let's say. And people try to make this distinction and they separate these things two out. Well, the spiritual is to have high standards and qualifications, but also 
so does the secular in the life of a church. And as I said, the Bible doesn't make distinctions between those two things in the life of a church. And I think we see that actually in this passage here, that both the spiritual and the secular, both are sacred in the eyes of the Lord because it has something to do with the local New Testament church. And any business that happens inside of the church ought to be counted as sacred and unto the Lord. And the first principle, I want you to note two things here, but the first principle is this. The spiritual is of greater importance than the physical. In verse 2, the twelve called the multitudes of the, of the disciples unto them and said, It is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. And here we find the principle that the spiritual is of greater importance than the physical. Here they made clear that the ministry of the Word of God was more important than serving tables. The apostles themselves, who were the pastors of the church, they hadn't always grasped that thought and had, and had that, that spiritual nature in mind. They hadn't always grasped that the spiritual is more important than the secular. In the life, in the ministry of Jesus, uh, the disciples demonstrated that. If you go, just keep your place here, but look back to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, and we look in verse 25. The Bible says in John 4 and 25, The woman saith unto him, I know that, the, that Messiah cometh, which is called Christ. When he is come, he will tell us all things. Jesus saith unto her, I that speak unto thee am he. And upon this came his disciples, and marveled that he talked with the woman, Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city, and saith to the men, Come see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest? Behold, I say unto you, Lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that, that where, whereon ye bestowed no labor, other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. If you read this passage through and you study this out, you find that when Jesus says to the disciples, Say not ye there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Jesus is actually rebuking the disciples here for their lack of, of, of being tuned in to the mission field. Where they were just at to go buy meat was a ripe mission field, and they didn't even see it. They were more concerned about the secular and the physical. Does Jesus have anything to eat? And Jesus says, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me. And I sent you to, lay, or to reap where you didn't even labor. And you're entered into their labors. The point I'm making here is that over time, as the disciples grew, by the time you get to Acts chapter 6, 
they understand that the spiritual is more important than the secular. Later on, this principle would grip them in a mighty way, and it would become one of the greatest guiding principles for this New Testament church. Now, there's no question that the apostles were also sincerely concerned about the physical needs within the church. They were tuned into that because they understood that there was an issue that was going on. But Jesus' own teaching had solidly shaped their perspective and set their priorities relative to the things spiritual and things material. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches his disciples. Uh, In fact, turn over there. Matthew 6, where Jesus tells them and teaches them, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. In Matthew 6 and verse 31, Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. And so this principle of the spiritual being more important than the secular gripped the apostles. When it came time in Acts chapter 6 for them to deal with this issue, the apostles were simply insisting on the supremacy of the spiritual when they called the people together and they said, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. It was their way of keeping the main thing, the main thing for themselves and for the church. Churches can get very carried away with the secular things or with business or with programs and fall away from keeping the main thing, the main thing, which is what? The ministry of the word of God, being obedient to Christ, to go into all the world and preach the gospel. What I'm saying is, the spiritual should always be recognized as the most important and should be what guides a church in terms of its policy and its practice. That's the foundation. But when we go back to our text in Acts chapter 6, we also find another thought here, and that is that the common things in the context of a church, are also to be handled in a consecrated manner. Now look at verse 3. Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. What is the business that they're talking about here? Well, at some point along the way, there was a murmuring because... Uh, the widows of the Grecians were, were not, in their minds, were not being treated as fairly as the widows amongst the Hebrews. And so in the daily ministration of things, in the carrying out of, of providing for the needs of others, some thought that, well, this is a little out of balance here. And it's a matter of just putting something in place that we can handle the, the, the physical matters of the church and just to be able to deal with it. But, but it wasn't just something common, is my point. It is a common thing, but how did they handle it? It wasn't, let's just put a policy together. The apostles came up with a plan and noticed that they said, you need to look out men among you that are full of the Holy Ghost, 
Men who are also of honest report. Men who have wisdom that we can appoint over the secular business. The principle is that the common things in the context of a church, even those things are to be handled in a consecrated manner. And this is proof that the principle of the sacredness of the Lord's church needs to be applied in everything that we do, in the secular in the church as well. So even this early, this early church considered even the most secular sort of work done in the church to be something of high value, to be something that is sacred because of its connection with the church. Listen, what I'm saying is it shows how they viewed the Lord's church. It shows us how we ought to view the Lord's church. And that's why the apostles insisted, demanded that spiritual men give leadership to the things that ordinarily would be considered common or secular. It's because they understood that everything that relates to the Lord's church or the operation of the church needs to be done in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord, in a manner that is sacred. And so only men of high character and spiritual men were to be chosen to serve in this office. Deacons must be mature, spiritually strong, spiritually minded, Christ-like men, men who are strong in the faith, not babies or spiritually weak men. But men who know the Word of God, men who live the Word of God. And we're going to look at these qualifications given here in verse 3. So, again, qualifications in Acts chapter 6, also 1 Timothy chapter 3. But what does this passage say men who serve in this office ought to be like? First of all, verse 3 says they are to be men of honest report. What does that mean to be men of honest report? And like I said, this is not just really to serve in the office of a deacon. Everybody, all of God's people, amen, all the saints of God ought to desire uh, to have uh, a good reputation or to be people of honest report. But the qualification to serve is here that they must be men of honest report. It means that they have a good reputation. Now, not all men of good reputation have good character. Why is that? Well, because your reputation is what other people think you are, but your character is what you really are on the inside. But you know something? Almost always, a man of good character is also going to have a good reputation. D.L. Moody said this. He said, if I take care of my character, my reputation will take care of itself. The apostles told the membership of this church in Jerusalem to seek out men to be deacons who, whose honesty in their minds was beyond question. You notice that it's the church's job to seek them out? It wasn't the apostles. There's a, there's a great balance and a great connection here with pastoral authority uh, and pastoral oversight and church involvement here. The pastors of the church said, you need to look out among you, men of honest report. That means that they needed to know each other. Matthew Henry's comments on the subject are worth noting here. He said, uh, regarding this passage, he said, these must be first men of honest report, men free from scandal, that were looked upon by their neighbors as men of integrity and faithful men, 
well attested, as men that might be trusted, not under a blemish for any vice, but on the contrary, well spoken of for everything that is virtuous and praiseworthy. Note, those that are employed in any office in the church ought to be men of honest report, of a blameless nature, of an admirable character, which is requisite not only to the credit of their office, but to the due discharge of it. Deacons must have a good name among those in the church and in the community. And it's also something that all of God's people should strive for as we represent Jesus Christ. Notice Proverbs chapter 22. Just hold your place and quickly look at Proverbs 22. In verse 21, the Bible says that I might that I might make thee know the certainty. I'll let you get there. Is that the right verse? That I might make thee to know the certainty of the words of truth, that thou mightest answer the words of truth to them that send unto thee. I'm not sure if that's... Oh, no, it's verse 1. That's what I'm looking for. I can't even read my own typing. That's pretty bad when you can't read your own typing, right? A good name. That's the verse I'm looking for. A good name is rather to be chosen than great riches and loving favor rather than silver and gold. What's more important here? A good name. A good name is something that's more valuable than great riches. That ought to be something that all of God's people are striving for. Men who have a good name, are commendable men. And if you understand the meaning of the word commend or commendable, it means this. It means to entrust for care or preservation, to recommend as worthy of confidence or notice. I think that's great. Men, men, who, men who, and deacons must be those who have a good name, men of good report. They ought to be commendable men, men who you can entrust the care or the preservation of things to, men who are worthy of confidence. Men are commendable who have proven that they can be trusted and that they live in a way that is consistent with the highest standards of Christianity. They can be trusted to take on assignments. They can be trusted to finish whatever work they start. They need to have been proven to be men of character in their life and in their business. One man said this, an honest man is the noblest work of God. Men are liars. Men are dishonest. George Washington said, I hope I shall always possess firmness and virtue enough to maintain what I consider the most enviable of all titles, the character of an honest man. And so the application here is this. As you consider this for our church and are considering men of our church for the office of deacons, as you are looking around, as you are observing these men must be men who've proven themselves to be honest men, men of good report, not men given to half-truths, not men who exaggerate so as to make themselves or their stories look better. They need to be men of honest report. The second 
in our text in Acts chapter 6 is that they need to be men filled with the Holy Spirit. And so, verse 3, Wherefore, brethren, look ye out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost. There are to be men who are filled with the Spirit. And of course, again, all believers are commanded to be filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5.18 says that. Sadly, that's not the case, though, in churches. And we, I don't know, should we expect that that would be the case, that all members all at the same time would be filled with the Holy Spirit? Maybe we should, because that's the Bible pattern. But that's not the case most of the time. But, let me say this to you, we as a church have both the right and the responsibility to see to it that the men we choose to serve in the office of, of a deacon are men who are spirit-filled men. It's a requirement that's given to us by God. The Lord's work, in order for it to be pleasing to Him, in order for it to be acceptable in His sight, it's got to be done in the power of the Spirit of God. And it stands to reason, it's consistent with the teaching of Scripture, that men who serve in the forefront of God's work need to be men who are filled with the Spirit of God. A man whose life is under the control of the Holy Spirit is what we're looking for. And it's going to be marked by a few things. First of all, it's going to be marked by a life of consecration. Consecration, or consecrated, or consecrate. It means dedicated to a sacred purpose. Spirit-filled men are men who demonstrate a high level of dedication to the cause of Christ. You know what? A church ought to be full of people like that, who have a high level of dedication to the cause of Christ. People who are determined to apply themselves in the work of the Lord. And a deacon is set to that standard, who is determined to apply himself to the work that the office demands. Furthermore, a spirit-controlled man is one who's going to have a clean lifestyle. It includes things like the way that we present ourselves in this world, the entertainments that we allow into our life, how we make our living. Some people might say, well, how I make my living is none of the church's business. But I would say to you today, when it comes to the office of a deacon, it absolutely is the church's business. In fact, every aspect of a man's lifestyle needs to be considered if he's to serve in this position. Churches take the office of a deacon and they just relegate it to just another thing and it gets blown out of proportion where, where anybody can, uh, who, who's available can serve in this office or it goes to another extreme where they take the office of a deacon and those are the people who run the church. And many times it's a deacon board run church and that's not what the Bible teaches. Often, I know of times and I know of of churches where the people who serve as deacons in the church, they're being asked or required to do things that are never found in the Bible for the office of a deacon. We need to hold to the Scriptures. But the Word of God tells us it's a lot more. The office of a deacon is a lot more than just people who take care of the the carpets in the building or make sure that, that the fuel tanks are full. 
Now, it's secular work, it's common things, but it's a biblical office for a New Testament church that absolutely has spiritual qualification to it. I've known of pastors who say, ah, we don't need deacons. Well, since when do we not need a biblical office given to us by the Lord Himself in His Word? Do we not need pastors? That's an office too. You understand what I'm saying? The Lord gave it to us. We need to handle it with care. And the Word of God outlines it for us. A spirit-filled or spirit-controlled man is one who's going to have a clean lifestyle. He's not going to be worldly. He's not going to be a compromiser. It matters. Worldliness grieves and quenches the Spirit of God. And it can't be allowed in this position of leadership in the church. C.H. Spurgeon said, Worldliness has gone a long way to destroy the church of God. James chapter 1, I'll just read it to you. James 1 and verse 27. The Bible says in James 1, 27, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. James 4 and verse 4 says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that the friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is an enemy of God. It can't be stressed too much that churches can't afford to have worldly men as deacons or in positions of leadership because it goes against the very essence of our mission and our purpose. Thirdly, a spirit-filled man is going to be a man of courage. Paul spoke of certain good and courageous men in the church in Acts chapter 15. Acts chapter 15 and verse 26. If we back up just a little bit, verse 24, So as much as we have heard, that certain which went out from us have troubled you with words, subverting your souls, saying you must be circumcised and keep the law, to whom we gave no such commandment. It seemed good unto us, being assembled with one accord, to send chosen men unto you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men that have hazarded their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have sent therefore Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. These were men who had this reputation among the church that they were men who hazarded their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were courageous men. If you look back in Acts chapter 7, you see the story of Stephen who was stoned. He was one of the first seven, and he fits into this category of a, of a courageous man. He stood against those who were haters of God. And what I'm saying is that deacons need to be men who will stand against the world. They need to be men who are not wishy-washy. They're not fence straddlers. They're not the kind of people who have their finger up in the air to see which way the wind is blowing, whatever the popular opinion is, and that's where they're going to go. No, they need to be principled men who will stand on truth. There are times when deacons need to be willing to stand even against a majority sometimes as long as it's standing for the Word of God. They need to be men who will stand firm 
on biblical principles, men who can be counted on not to buckle under the pressure or popular sentiment. And I'm saying to you, that ought to be the case for all of God's people. They need to be men who will stand with their pastor. They need to be men who will follow against opposition, but only as long as the pastor is following Christ and following the Word. The instruction in Acts chapter 6 is to look out men among you who have some convictions. Men who have a good report. Men who are filled with the Holy Ghost. Men who are willing to stand firm in those convictions for right. And they ought to be men who through the years have been known as men who grow in their faith and even come to stronger convictions of truth. These are the kinds of men with tremendous strength that help weave the fabric of a local New Testament church and help make it solid and make it strong. They need to be spirit-filled, godly men. The third qualification, if you go back to Acts chapter 6, is that they may be men of wisdom. Wherefore, brethren, look out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. The church in Jerusalem was instructed to choose men who are full of wisdom. Now note this, don't confuse knowledge with wisdom when considering a man as a candidate for a deacon. It's possible for a man to have great, a great deal of formal education, Possible for a man to be exceptionally knowledgeable or specialized in particular things or areas. It's even possible for a person to possess a great deal of Bible knowledge and at the same time be lacking in wisdom. Also, let me also say this to you, an older man is not always a wise man. There's a proverb out there that says this, Learning without wisdom is just a load of books on a donkey's back. In other words, you can have all kinds of head knowledge. You can have some specialization in particular things and not have any wisdom to you. It can be rather worthless. Charles Spurgeon said, Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. To know is not, is, is not necessarily to be wise. And there are many men who have a great deal of knowledge, but they actually can become the greater fools for it. And so what I'm saying is wisdom is knowing how to use knowledge. That's wisdom. So when it comes down, or what it comes down to, is that a man needs to have some good common sense to him. Why? Because they need to be able to recognize and then follow through on opportunities to serve the Lord and the church even better. A good deacon candidate will be a man who's known to have an eye for the work that needs to be done and then have enough common sense to take action when it's needed. Again, churches get this idea of the office of a deacon all backwards and messed up. 
And they've set aside as deacons men who never do much deaconing. You know what I mean by that? Do you, know, you know what it means to be a deacon? Diakonos? It means to be a servant. That's why he was talking about serving tables. People get set aside to serve in the office who don't do much serving. Deacons need to perform, they need to function, they need to serve. And a church must have men with some good sense to do the right thing, to do it right, and to do it right now, not to be lazy. And so what I'm saying to you is, as a church, we need to be looking out men who are known to have a proactive approach to the work that needs to be done. They need to be qualified men. We're going to get to the other spiritual qualifications in 1 Timothy chapter 3 next time. But Acts chapter 6 gives us a good idea, a good starting point. That they need, as you look out among you, you need to be choosing men who are of honest report, they have a good reputation, good character. They need to be men who are have been shown that they are filled with the Spirit of God. Their life is consistent with their testimony. They also need to be men who have wisdom. They have some common sense to them, some knowledge and some ability to them to be able to serve. And so as you're considering this for our church and considering men who would be qualified to serve as deacons, you need to be looking for spiritually minded men, men of integrity, Men of industry, men of intelligence, also men of compassion. They need to be known as men who are able to exercise wisdom because that's what the office of a deacon requires, to be able to do their part in the building, in the establishing of the church that they serve in. And again, we're going to look at the qualifications found in 1 Timothy 3, and they get more particular and it's not only just the men who are involved, it's also their wives. And my point in all of this is we need to be instructed from the Word as we move forward in this. But secondly, we also need to have a heart and a mind that these traits are not just for men who serve in the office of a deacon. They ought to be in your heart and mind to want to be the same kind of people. People have a good reputation, a good name. You want to be known as somebody uh, who uh, has a reputation of, of somebody who's a gossip or somebody who's a liar or somebody who's, who's disingenuous or somebody who's a goofball who also always messes around. You can't take them seriously. You don't want to be known as have a name and a reputation of somebody uh, who, 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 who is not kind, uh, somebody who's mean-hearted. Or, or you, want to be, you want to be known as somebody who's got their life under the control of the Holy Spirit of God. And what what are the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. That's the kind of reputation that all of us should want to have. A good name is rather to be chosen. See, this is not just for those who would serve in this office. But I would ask you, men, we'll get into 1 Timothy chapter 3. And there's some things that disqualify people from serving in the office of a deacon. But for now, let me ask you this. Would you examine your own heart? Would you examine your life? Are you qualified in this regard 
that you have a good reputation, have an honest report, that your life is consistent and filled with the Spirit of God, that you have wisdom to you. You ought to, you ought to desire and strive for to be that kind of a man, that kind of character. And may the Lord help us. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd instruct us and teach us from your word. And Lord, as we continue to move forward, as we move forward in choosing deacons for our church for this next cycle, Lord, we want to be led by you. Lord, we want to be directed by your word. Lord, we want to treat it with the sacredness and the respect that it deserves as you've given it to us in your word. May we never be guilty of setting aside those who are unqualified, but also may we never be guilty of uh, and be slack in our approach as if it's not that important or as if it doesn't mean very much. Lord, may we not be guilty of such things. And Lord, we see in this example in the scriptures that even the common things were handled in a sacred manner. Even the common things had a spiritual nature to them. And Lord, may we as a church function in the same way. Give us your grace, or give us wisdom, and Lord, would you lead as we choose out deacons again for this next cycle in our church. I'm thankful, Lord, for the men that we have had serving as deacons, the faithfulness of them, their hard work, their labor, their faithfulness not only to the Lord, but to their church, and all the things that get done behind the scenes that people don't know anything about because of faithful men. I appreciate them very much, and Lord, I pray that you lead as we choose again, and may your will be done. Thank you, Lord, for giving us instruction in your word. Thank you that you've not left us to our own devices, but Lord, you've laid it out for us clearly. And we trust you, Lord, that you will lead and that your will is going to be done, that our church would take it seriously, and Lord, that we would follow the principles from the word of God. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.